Hello, everyone, and welcome to Dissecting Dance, Kicking It with Rand podcast, the podcast that opens up discussions about topics in dance. The goal of this podcast is to allow dancers and non-dancers alike to think about dance from new perspectives, as well as leaving room for discussion. Enjoy the show! Hello, everyone, and welcome to Dissecting Dance, Kicking It with Rand podcast, um, episode three. We're already on number three. That's crazy. Um... But welcome, Uh, my name is Ren and I am the host, in case you don't know me. Um, And this episode today, um, I will try to make it as discussion-based as as possible, but a lot of what what I will be talking about pertains to uh, dance history, specifically ballet history. So it's one of those things where I'll be spewing facts out, but I will also try to provide my own commentary on those facts so that way we at least can think a bit um, the way that I want everyone to be able to think when it comes to dance history and all that kind of stuff. So as usual I have our traditional fun fact of the day. So our fun fact is that ballet became popular in the royal court of France because the person who brought the style over from Italy married a French royal. So I specifically found this fun fact so interesting, especially because when ballet was originally brought over from Italy, which I mentioned in my first episode, um, I mean, that's what it was. Like it went from like a traditional like, dance in Italy um something people did for fun I think that might be wrong to royalty in France like that's wild um which makes sense why ballet got so popular because I feel like at the time if royalty were to do it it's like okay this is a this is like the style that everyone wants to do if that makes sense so I specifically found this fact very fascinating and I found it fascinating that it was like the, the fact that it was brought in through marriage is also interesting too. So yeah, um, that was our fun fact. And now we're going to get into the main topic of this podcast. And I do want to say, if you are a history nerd, this is 100% for you. Um, I had a hyperfixation on this topic, actually. Um, because I was like, wow, it's interesting to see where such a, such a traditional dance style came from. Um, and I realized upon my research that dance, um, specifically ballet, ballet started approximately 600 years ago, which is just insane to me. And I think that's what fascinates me the most about ballet is just how old it is and how ballet was able to develop these past literally 600 years. So I did do a bit of research on this topic because history, I do want to say, is not my strong suit. And I also do want to add, um, you know, I'm going to leave links to the sites that I used to do my research in the description of this episode. So if you want to see where I got my research from, I'll leave the links there so that way, of course, so I can give credit, but also so that will allow you to do your own research if you're interested. Um, So yeah, 
So the way that this website did um, ballet eras, like the way that they did ballet history was they divided them into about seven eras, I believe. Um, And I find that really fascinating too, just because it divides everything up. Um, It just makes it easier for me. Um, So ballet started in the 1600s. The first um, I don't want to say it's ballet because at that point it wasn't ballet yet, but the uh, but the Renaissance, that's where ballet originally stemmed from, was like the Renaissance era, which was in the uh, 15th to 16th centuries. Um, this was originally called the Ballet du Cour. Um, it, trans- it directly translates to court ballet. Um at this point, only European leaders were dancing to this style. And um, that goes back to my fun fact from earlier that, um, you know, how dance was, how the ballet style was brought into France. Um, and in the very beginning of ballet, only men in the royal court were allowed to do ballet. Women were not remotely involved in ballet at all. It's very similar to like, plays and stuff like that and performances um only men were able to and allowed to perform in plays and skits etc if there was a woman that was represented um in the play that um that was also played by a man um so that is also like a particularly like fascinating fact for me there um the next period is the Baroque period, um, or, or easier to call ballet. Um, in this era, women were able to do ballet. I'm pretty sure this was like within the 17th century um, that this period started. Um, women were able to do ballet, but at that point, like, it, you didn't see like costumes similarly to now. You didn't see that at all. In fact. Women had to be covered, um, you know, in petticoats, long sleeves, long dresses. They had to be covered. Um, And I think that also relates to, uh, in a lot of places, you know, um, I'm trying to remember the word, but I forgot. Um, It starts with the letter M. I'm sure you can think of it, and I'm going to feel stupid that I can't think of it. Um, So, basically, um, within the opera ballet era this was um this era involved talking so during this era um this also wasn't like a real ballet era either I guess I should mention that um but this era did involve storytelling um storytelling through voice so they were they would talk for a bit, um, make sound effects, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, but that that is when ballet really focused on telling a story. And I say ballet, but um, it's considered to be the pre-classical era of ballet. So this was really before it developed its like strict technique. It was more about storytelling at that point. Um, speaking of classical. Um, the classical era is the next era in ballet. Um, within this era, it became less focused on like props and storytelling like a, tra- like a traditional play would. Um, 
but it was more focused on facial expressions to convey a story. So that was when dancers on stage would really focus on, you know, expressing through their face rather than words. So you know the saying that a lot of dancers use being, oh, I love dance because um, it allows me to express dance without talking about it. Um, which is really great for, for people. Um, so that's kind of when that occurred. And that was in the 1700s when that happened. So the next era, um, this is more of a transitional era. This is when ballet became more of a like romantic kind of thing. Um, what the term that I have on here is the pre-romantic era. Um, so during the classical era, um, a lot of things were more pristine, a lot more technical, a lot more specific. Um, and it was more of like a one size only kind of thing. You could only do ballet a certain way. It really wasn't much of an art form. Although, of course, it's an art form. Wasn't as much of an expressive way to dance. Um, so the pre-romantic era was a transitional period from that like strict, pristine um, side of it to the romantic era. Also where a lot of love stories through ballet were created. Um so that was where dancers basically were allowed to develop the artistry of the Romantic era, um, which I will face into right now. So the Romantic era, this is where um, ballet becomes elegant. I mean, you know the saying, it's not really a saying, but being a ballet dancer, you're kind of known for being elegant and just looking like you're floating all the time. Um that is where, like, that side of it is involved. And where a lot of love stories come from. Hence it being called the Romantic Era. Um, this is, and this is also where um, the, the legendary point dancing um, comes into play here. Um, in case you don't know what point is, point is uh, basically where you're on your tippy toes. And you are doing ballet steps that way. Um, we like to call it on point. Um, on being spelled E-N and then point being spelled P-O-I-N-T-E. Um, of course, in this, um, in, of course, in this romantic era, um, this is where, you know, I'm trying to come up with words here. Um, I got my words back, everybody. Um, so the point work that occurred during this romantic era is nowhere near as advanced as the point work that we are doing now in current ballet times. And that is because since this was when point shoes were introduced, um, I feel like, of course, now we're doing a lot better with um, developing protection for our feet to make sure that we are on point safely. So, of course, so when dancers were on point during the Romantic era, a lot of time the point work involved was consisting of bores, which is, you'll have to look up what bores are. I, I can't explain it through just audio. Um, that's, that's basically what a lot of point was at that time. Um, 
And of course, because the gender stereotype is that only women can go on point, that is that is where women started dominating ballet as a whole. As I mentioned previously, it was men that pretty much took over um, ballet when in the when in the beginning, and it was in the ballet du corps era. Um, now, women are taking over ballet, and obviously, to this day, that that stuck with us um, because now more women are doing ballet than men. So the next. Um, the next era is intriguing to me and it almost feels out of place for me because this is where ballet starts to expand beyond the Italy and, um, beyond the Italy and France part. So in the 1800s, um, this is about when this happened, um, ballet then went to Russia and I do know the name of like the Russian style of ballet, it's called Vaganova Ballet, or the Vaganova style, and that's how I was mostly trained when I was at my studio, is through that style. But that is a whole different topic for another episode, unless I decide to get into it spontaneously. But um, Russian art specifically intrigues me, specifically the performing arts, um, because in Russia... A lot of the arts were funded by the state, which also means the government. Um, and I do find that fascinating because, you know, I feel like in America, um, or maybe I just don't know a lot about history, but funding dance especially just has never been a thing. Like funding the arts, funding dance, that has never been a thing. Um, but in Russia... Um, a lot of that stuff was like, I've heard was um, used for like pro-war stuff, although I might be wrong. Um, I also very much have been following like Russian, um, the the Russian figure skating from the Olympics a couple of years ago. Or maybe it wasn't a couple of years ago, but I followed that for a bit. Um, and obviously like the situation's upsetting. Um, but... I just find it so interesting that that is how, like, Russia does their art. No offense to Russia, but I do find it fascinating that art is a lot more common and encouraged there. Um, and like, I, and as I mentioned before, this occurred in the 1800s. And I feel like within that time period, that is where ballet kind of started dividing off and... Um, Ballet masters, I would even say, kind of developed their own um, styles of ballet. And so, as I mentioned, Vaganova is one of the styles. Chiquetti is another style. Um, Balanchine is the known American style, which I will get into in a moment. Um, because that is the next era. Um, so, this next era is technically called modernism. Although, I don't know if we can say that anymore. Um... Because this era was from, like, the early 1900s. So, from 1900s to, like, the early 1930s. Um, I would say this is when ballet became more popular among the world. I wouldn't say at that point it was mainstream yet, based on what I saw. But ballet became a lot more common um, at that point. 
And I do believe either during that time period or after, um, somewhere in like the 1930s, 40s, maybe even 50s, um, that was when, that was when um, Balanchine opened the School for American Ballet. And um, that is one of the top ballet companies or ballet schools, um, basically, um, in, in the States. Um, we have a few other, like, larger, not larger, but we have a few other pristine ballet schools in the States. Um, but the School of American Ballet is also one of those places that was raised on tradition from George Balanchine directly. Um, now, I have a lot I could say about him as a person, but not right now. Um, we're just getting into the eras. I'll get into the nitty-gritty stuff later. But this is basically a general overview of the eras. And my thoughts, I already kind of gave my commentary throughout. But I do wonder what era we could be in today. Because if you look at modernism as an as the name of an era... This era was around the time modern dance was created and there are already modern people, uh, there were already modern people who were, you know, trying to break away from ballet. So I wonder, um, let's say we could say that ballet now is becoming more of a contemporary, I would even say uh, contemporary ballet because according to one of my ballet teachers, um, ballet companies are becoming more like contemporary based, not in a sense of like we're losing ballet, but there's just a lot more contemporary features. So I would call it maybe the contemporary era or something like that. Um, I will say between like the 1930s and now, I would say ballet is less of a cultural style and more mainstream. Um, when I had Sinai on the previous podcast, we kind of I kind of briefly mentioned how in the past you could consider ballet like a cultural dance style because it was something that a very select few people did. But because ballet got so popular, um, now everyone can do ballet, thankfully. And so ballet is now mainstream. And I believe if you want to do ballet, you should do ballet, of course, regardless of whatever your gender identity or racially or any anybody even disability to anybody should be able to do ballet and that's where I think ballet changed in a positive way was the fact that nowadays it is more encouraged for everyone to do ballet now that being said I hope I you guys get my point and that I was not rambling too much throughout this episode and that everything came across correctly the way that it was supposed to. Now, this does mark the end of this episode of the of the podcast. Um, we are doing a shorter episode today because I really wanted to delve into the eras of ballet. I feel like that's really important in order for me to start talking about more specific things. Like, for example, my next episode of um, Dance History episodes, that's going to be a whole series in one. But my next Dance History episode of this show will be delving deep into George Balanchine and his style of ballet. Um, 
he's considered the like um, American style ballet, if that makes sense. So that will be the next episode of the our like mini series dance history portion. So definitely keep an eye out for that. Uh, he has a very interesting story, especially because he is one of the biggest American ballet schools ever, basically. So that does mark the end of today's episode of um, Dissecting Dance, Kicking It With Rand podcast. Uh, thank you for listening to my little history lesson. I hope it wasn't too dull or boring. I know that history can be either boring or there are people who really are fascinated by dance history. And I think that's really cool. I do want to acknowledge that I feel like anybody who is interested in dance or wants to be a dancer, my very strong opinion is that it is very important for dancers to know the history of the movements that they're doing. So every dance move comes from somewhere, including TikTok dances. Every dance move has an element of history to it. So therefore, I feel that it's very important to learn about like dance history and all that stuff. It just gives respect to the roots of where dance came from. And so today, that was eras of ballet. Now, as I said for the second time, <laughs> this does mark the end of this episode of Dissecting Dance Kicking It with Ren. I hope that you all enjoyed the show and... I hope that all of you have a fantastic rest of your day. Bye. I'll see you in the next one. Thank you for watching this episode of Dissecting Dance, Kicking It with Ren podcast. If you can hear the wonderful background music, those are water bottles. This is your sign that you should relax and drink some water. Anyways, a new episode will be uploaded every other Thursday. Thank you for watching.